everyone. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And today is Anything But Typical again, because this is actually the second time that we're having to do this one with Daniel, because somehow I screwed up on the last time and we had a really awesome interview and I didn't hit the record button or I thought it was on and it wasn't. And so Daniel has been extremely gracious uh, to join us. And I think you're going to be in for a treat to hear his story, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So, Daniel, uh, take two here, and, and here's the question. You and your wife are in uh, Antigua, Guatemala, at your favorite uh, restaurant, eating plantains and whatever else you, you guys like, and you are within earshot of somebody that has been talking about you, and they don't realize that they can, that you can overhear them. Um, Ideally, what are the kind of things that you would like to have them be saying about you? Yeah, thank, thanks, guys, for having me on again. So excited to be here. Uh, I think for me, you know, though I'm a owner, CEO of a business, you know, I think what I would want them to be talking about is how much I care about people. And so, um, you know, whether that's with my family, my kids and my community or my, my business, you know, especially our employees here at Torrance. Um, I think that is what fuels and drives me is, is a desire to, to love and serve people. Um, business happens to be an amazing platform to do that, in my opinion, a place to come together and spend 40 to 45 hours a week with people that you care about and that you can show up and, and love and care for them through, through that. So, uh, but I think that's, that's what I would want to hear them talking about is how, you know, I'm a person of, uh, that loves and cares for people, a person that's full of generosity, um, not just financially, but with my time and resources and relationships and my networks. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's, I think, that's my, my simple prayer every day is that I live the day full of, of loving and serving um, the people that I'm coming in contact with. Well, I think that that comes through with so much of how you, how you run the business and so much of your past. And so I'll, I'll give everybody a quick snippet of it and then we'll dive right in. Um, so Daniel's the founder and CEO of Torrent Consulting, which is a Salesforce Platinum consulting partner, and they're focused on serving mid-market companies in the United States. It was founded in 2012. And one of the things that we're going to dive a lot into is Torrent is a purpose-driven company. And I want to make sure that we're expanding on exactly what that means and laying the foundation for it. And prior to, to Torrent, Daniel's background has a wide variety of experience, including supporting nonprofits, uh, being a part of economic development in Africa and, and a variety of others. So I want to start Daniel with, well, start a second time. You were good enough in the practice round for us to bring you back to do the real Thank thing. You. Um, so I want to start with that economic development in Africa. Start here by de just describing what you were doing and then we'll get into more of the why and the how after that. Yeah. So not to go too far back in my career, but I spent some time at a, a big consulting company and then I went and did some nonprofit work back in 2007 to 2009. And my wife and I uh, got married in 2007. And you know, one of the things we, we decided we would do is to take a leave from our jobs for a year and go overseas and serve. And so I had previously spent two years in, in Russia and she had spent a year in India working in an orphanage uh, during college and then had 
spent some time, um, four years in Okinawa, Japan. Her dad was in the Navy. So when we met and got married, we were like, man, this would be amazing to do together. So we, we ended up going to Malawi, Africa, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. And she kind of had a job she was going to do to work in this HIV AIDS program, which is, you know, HIV AIDS is a big, big challenge there in Malawi. And so I went not really knowing what I was going to do. It was just more, hey, I'm going to show up and kind of figure things out, which is typically not how I operate as a, as a CEO and planner uh, and somebody that likes to know know what's happening. So, but I showed up there and really quickly um, got really interested just through a few conversations and how um, economic opportunity was really like critical for seeing a country like Malawi, um, you know, with so much poverty to see them move forward and try to, you know, start coming out of poverty. And so it wasn't necessarily like the handouts and the charities and the NGOs that were going to help, uh, um, help them. And so I started going down a path of researching microfinancing and there was a couple of really amazing organizations there that were doing microfinancing. And so I got plugged in and started learning what they did and some of the communities that I was working in, um, with some of the churches, I was able to get, you know, ladies from those churches connected into these programs to get some simple business training. And then they would give them, you know, anywhere from 50 to $75 loan. And those ladies would go out and buy um, some chickens that would start laying eggs and they could start selling every day or, you know, um, some seeds to start planting uh, you know, tomato plants and they would start selling those. And I saw this working really one of the organizations was working at a pretty massive scale across Malawi and you know, the default rate on these loans was like less than 1%. It's pretty amazing. And so, so that was a piece of what I helped with and saw. And then I met a couple of business people that had some larger businesses that, you know, I started sitting, sitting and talking to them. The whole heartbeat of their business was to help people. But they were business people trying to grow their business, you know, to make money. Um, and so not only were they trying to help their employees grow and for just providing a, a decent salary there was pretty life-changing in, in Malawi. And so they were doing that and they were taking some of the surplus they had and building orphanages and hospitals and doing some really neat things. And so that was really, you know, when I, that was, you know, that year in Malawi is a really pivotal time for me, you know, being at the time 30, 31, I'd done corporate America, I'd done the nonprofit thing. I'd lived overseas a couple of times and I was like this, everything came together in my life um, around, you know, during that time where I really left saying, man, I have this whole new view of business. It's business is not, doesn't have to be this bottom line, hardcore driven thing. And if you want to help people, you don't have to just go do nonprofit work, right? Which has its own challenges of scale and, and other issues. And so, you know, I learned about this kind of third way of thinking, which is really taking, you know, purpose, being a purpose driven business, a social entrepreneur, triple bottom line, like there's all these phrases, right? But it's really seeing your business as a vehicle to, to drive and you know, impact in the world, whatever that is. And so we obviously there's some great examples out there, um, you know, the Patagonias of the world that, that, that are out there. But, you know, so that year Malawi was doing those economic development activities. But then also for me, it was a bit of a life clarification, right? It was like the, the convergence of a lot of things for me um, that really, you know, 10 years later, I look back and, probably didn't even fully appreciate it at the time, but now I look back and realize, like, and see what was happening and, and why that was such a critical time for me. Yeah, it sounds like it, it's laid the foundation for 
some of the things that we'll get into, right? The purpose-driven companies and, and doing well while doing good, things like that. So mm-hmm. um, you briefly mentioned the, the opportunity to go over and how you and your wife decided to do that. But that's not, that's not a simple decision. You can't just over coffee yeah. say, all right, well, I guess this is what we're going to do. So take us through that process. What was the appeal that really pushed you two over the edge to say, yeah, this is something that, that makes sense for us to do? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're right. I'm not a reckless risk taker. As an, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a very calculated kind of risk taker. And so it wasn't like we woke up one day and just made this decision. I mean, it was a year of planning once we even made the decision before we left. And so, you know, I think it was just the desire to want to do more in life. And I think, you know, we, she and I have both been ex- exposed to, to traveling and, and living overseas and, um, outside of the U.S. and you start to realize when you travel and, you know, many, many people travel on vacation to different places. When you go and live somewhere, you start to see the world differently. And I think we started, we knew that we wanted to go get back and serve before we started a family. So that was probably, you know, that was in play too. And we put off, you know, starting a family for a year because we wanted to go and give back and serve and, and do that experience together was really probably the driving force. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that was, we were deciding all that in 2008 as the economy crashed, especially in Charlotte being, you know, this huge financial center, everything started crumbling as we made that decision. Um, but we stuck to it and we followed through for that year of preparation into 2009 and, and ended up, you know, getting on the plane and going somewhere we'd never even been before, never been that Southern Africa. And so that was a, that was a big step for us, but I think it was this desire to serve and this desire to do it together. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So you, you have that experience and then you're, you're coming back and now, now it's a next step, right? It's like a, a video game and you're at the next level and you've got to restart again. So yeah, take us through that transition because you, you took a massive step in a different direction. And I want us to be able to dive into it. Yeah. So we came back the summer of 2010 um, and to Charlotte, my wife was pregnant when we, when we came back. And so, you know, we started, our family started to grow and, you know, we got resettled back into Charlotte. I went back to my old job for a couple of years um, and it was really, it was April of 2012. So eight years ago, um, I kind of woke up one day and I was like, all right, we went back almost two years. I'm back in my old job. I had this big like experience in Malawi, but now I'm just kind of back into the rut, right, of things. And so, which was fine to kind of get settled, but I started exploring and I had a really great job offer at a pretty big consulting firm. Um, and I was applying to go get an international MBA from University of South Carolina. I was enrolled actually. Uh, and then I just, you know, that, that, that consulting firm literally was about to call me an hour before they called me and I called my wife and I was like, I don't know what I should do. And she's like, I think you should just, you should just quit and do torrent, start, start your business. And that's what I was wrestling with, like starting my own thing, kind of going, taking the risk or going the safe route of the consulting firm with the good salary that was going to let me go get my MBA on the weekends and kind of go that path. And so they called me and I told them, you know, I wasn't going to accept the offer. And that was really, that was kind of the decision point for me to go all in on going out on my own and, and starting Torrent, which I did, you know, about four weeks later. So, um, but it was a bit of a journey, even coming back from Malawi and just 
then taking another step, and it was a couple more years to take that next big step, which seemed at the time like this massive risk, right? And so with a few thousand dollars in the bank um, and no business plan, no idea what I was going to do um, beyond, I'm going to use air quotes, consulting, right? Then, you know, it was a, it was a big leap for me. Yeah, which can mean just about anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I love hearing this story, even though it's really more than the second time, because I've heard some of these pieces of this story yeah. more than once as we've uh, started working together, actually, I don't know, three years ago or so. Um, but um, so going from the... You know, first of all, for a very calculated person to be um, willing to just put it all on the line and have the support of your wife, which is, I think, really important, uh, to launching what's really become an amazing, you know, top 20 uh, Salesforce.com consulting firm, uh, which is really mind-boggling, but you you were driven by some sort of a vision and I've always known you as a very pur purpose-driven visionary and um, talk about the vision that you had even when it was just you to now what, what do you have over a hundred people something like that yeah just just over I think 105 right now yeah awesome so talk to me about like the differences of the initial vision and commonalities in the current vision. Yeah. So I think the initial vision, you know, I, I thought I was going to go help businesses kind of integrate social impact into their business model. I had done a little bit on the side with a friend of mine and had seen some success there in Charlotte. And so I was like, man, I'm going to go be a social entrepreneur consultant. So th about three weeks in, I realized that wasn't going to work. So that was, that was a pretty big pivot pretty fast. Uh, but I think the heart behind that was, man, I want to use business as a vehicle um, to impact lives, to help people, to serve people, to make a difference in the world. And so I think that is like, you know, we kind of call it our core belief here at Torrent. You know, I think we had, I just had that core belief that, you know, we can, we can love and by loving and serving people through business, we can make an impact in the world. And so I would say that that's what I learned in Malawi. And when I started Torrent, that was the initial kind of idea um, that I think is, you know, we've really solidified it in the last year and a half and, you know, kind of codified it to a degree here at Torrent. But in the reflection, reflection of that over the last year and a half, that's what I really went back to. And that's what I saw in Malawi. That's where I saw these business leaders that, man, they just cared for people. Their employees were family to them. I mean, they, they literally like just, just cared and business happened to be this, 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 you know, vehicle to, to kind of rub shoulders every day with those people and, and help them grow and develop as humans. And so, yeah, I would say that's like a really big thread. I mean, I think our model, you know, went from helping social entrepreneurs. To, I was doing a lot of website and, e-commerce website development those first couple of years, uh, first year and a half, especially. And then I was doing a little bit of Salesforce consulting. I had a couple friends that needed some sites or needed Salesforce set up. And I kind of got into it. And I had one really great client in Charlotte that was my first client. Um, and 
spent a couple of years with them, but I was doing, started doing Salesforce for them as they were growing as a customer. We built their whole business on the Salesforce Platinum, and I walked in when they were five people, and now they're a couple hundred people uh, there in Charlotte. So, you know, but we built this whole platform. And so along the way, by late 2013, I realized we needed to get rid of all of our other work and just go all in, which is another big, was a big risk and a step for us. Um, you know, I read Purple Cow by uh, Seth Godin, and my, one of my clients gave it to me, actually. And so that just really kind of, you know, reinforced this idea that be great at one thing, right? The natural tendency is try to be great or do, especially as entrepreneurs, to get into everything. And so we made it literally a decision. I remember sitting there and saying, we're going to get rid of our other work. We have four months runway to make the Salesforce thing work. And if it doesn't, by January 2014, we'll we'll go back, we'll go back and figure it out, right? So I think part of this taking risk is, you know, for me it's always having a plan B and plan C probably, and that's how you offset the risk, right? You kind of hedge against some of that, and it's like, well, what's the worst case scenario if I I start Torrent, I don't go to this other firm? My wife was like, well, in six months, I'm pretty sure you could probably call them back up and you know, with your resume and experience in consulting, get a job. I'm like, yep, that's plan B, right? Going all in on Salesforce, plan B was, well, we can always go back and probably do website development and this other work that we were good at. It just wasn't going to, you know, being a quote-unquote technology consultant with no specialization doesn't get you very far. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think the evolution of what we did kind of evolved from, help social, you know, help businesses become social, socially responsible to website development, e-commerce to then Salesforce. And that was all in about a year and a half period. Um, and I'm making it sound much smoother than it really was. And, you know, at the time it was way more, you know, felt heavier and bigger and, you know, these big decisions we have to make. And so, um, but, you know, really what you see today was the, the output of that kind of third evolution, which was we're going to be a Salesforce consulting partner. I went and got certified so we could get registered as a partner. And really in 2014 is when we started to take off, you know, once we had made that decision. So you had mentioned uh, having a plan B, having a plan C. I want to dive a little bit deeper on that because the, the, the popular thing for people to say is the burn the ships, right? You can't have a plan B or you won't succeed. So burn the ships and be all in on something. So talk to me a little bit more about that because you've mentioned calculated risk taking. You mentioned having plan B's and plan C's. So why do you see the value in that and, and weigh that a little bit in your mind compared to the, the all in burn the ships type approach? Well, I, I think it's going in on all in on your plan A, but knowing if plan A doesn't work, you have a fallback plan. So I'm all about going all in. I mean, we went all in on Salesforce. It had it failed. And we had people saying like, ah, oh, what if Salesforce gets bought, right, by Microsoft or Google? What are you going to do then? Or is your company going to fall apart? So I, I mean, I had a lot of those conversations. Um, but I'm all about going all in and niching on something. I think it's amazing. And I, I, I think entrepreneurs that don't do that really struggle. Uh, so I, I'm even inside of Salesforce, we've niched about three more times along the way. We are very niche inside Salesforce now. Um, and who knows, in another year, we might even be more niche. But the more you niche, as Seth Godin talks about in that book, the more you niche, the more you can charge, the more demand you'll have because you'll be the one person that knows bam, 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 right? And so um, anyway, so 
I think having a plan B is just smart and wise. I mean, even going into this COVID, you know, the pandemic and navigating that, you know, we sat down in the middle of March and spent a couple of weeks, like pretty much blowing up our financial plan for the year and rebuilding something like we, we came up with this five step plan that we rolled out to the company at the end of March. And it was like, here's, here's our, you know, here's the, the trap doors along the way that if we get to this point, we'll do this. And if we get to this point, we'll do that. And so it gave us a pretty solid marching plan and it knew what we needed to do to make plan A successful. Uh, but we also knew what the worst case scenario was. So anyway, I'm all about going in, all in. I, I think it just, it probably takes a little stress away if you know you have a backup plan, you know, and the backup plan may not, what I've found is you usually don't need the backup plan. Like if, because if you're smart enough to have a backup plan, you're probably smart enough that your first plan is going to work or at least some variation of that. So a, a question that I've got for you, Daniel, and I see this uh, plague pretty much every entrepreneur at every stage of growth. And that is going from and scaling up, it's the function accountability chart. So uh, in your world, when you were starting this thing out by yourself, your name was by every major function of the business. And to get it airborne, you had to, had to actually be pretty proficient at being able to do that. But then you scale, starts getting hard and you hit the ceiling uh, to use some of the words from entrepreneur operating system or EOS, uh, you hit the ceiling because all roads are, or too many roads are still leading to you. I've seen you as like one of the things, yeah, you say to, to love and serve through business is a real driving force and a heartbeat of your company. But I've also seen you exhibit this desire to raise up leaders whether they stay with you or not, you've had a very open hand about that, which is very different from a lot of other C CEOs. They, they want to raise up leaders as long as they've got a fence around them and they don't leave. You've been very open handed about that. Talk to me about some of the challenges or and maybe it wasn't a challenge for you to relinquish some of that control along the way, but I'd like to hear about, you know, some of the stages in your growth that uh, were challenging and how did you be willing to release certain aspects of your job to somebody else that may not have had the expertise that you did, may not have done it exactly the way you would have done it, but you still did it. Tell me about that. All right. So this will be about four hours to answer this question. I think that so, no, this is a really great question. I mean, I think it's multifaceted for me. So one, one I've kind of known, and I mean, I, I literally have a sticker on my computer here. Like I've, I've gone through some kind of my own, you know, I think well-being uh, work in coaching that we have, uh, that we offer. We offer well-being coaching here at our company, but we, we do a, an exercise about a three-month journey of discovering your personal why. And so many people are familiar with Simon Sinek, Find Your Why. And so for companies and organizations and teams, um, but we've taken it and kind of we use it and we help people go through it. So I went through it. One, my personal why is to equip and empower people to be leaders so that we can transform lives. So I think part of that comes from like, this is really what drives me. It's what fuels me. It's, it's really this idea that I, I want to see other leaders raised up. Like it's, it's really kind of at the heartbeat and even going back to the beginnings of Torrent, this idea 
Um, so for me, the, the business is a place like I want everybody in our business. I believe everybody in our business has the potential to be amazing leader. So we're not all going to look the same. It, leadership's not a role, right? It's not a, um, it's not a position or, or, or power, but leading is influencing and enabling others to be successful. And so I think everybody, so part of it's my just way of thinking and kind of naturally, like I want to, you know, empower others, enable others to make decisions, to grow themselves uh, in the leader. And I know if I'm in control and trying to keep control, that will not happen and it can't happen. And so part, part of the answer is that I think the second, you know, another part of this is, you know, knowing your core values, having people on your team that you align with from a core value perspective, having a clear vision, having a clear strategy. When you have people like that around you, um, like for me, it's easy to let go of control, right? And to let them, and to really trust that they are going to make really great decisions um, that are going to be aligned to one, where we're headed, two, what we value, three, where it aligns our strategy. Um, and so that's, now when you don't have that, and I've had that at times, we, we had leaders in the company that were not aligned to values that, that we stood by and stood for and didn't see things the same way. And that creates chaos. And I think that's like, that's probably the biggest issue that I think CEOs struggle with is like, do you have, do you, have you given a clear vision? Do you have a clear strategy? Do you have a team of, you know, servant leaders that really buy into what you're trying to do that aren't in it for themselves, that aren't playing political games, that are truly like trying to make decisions for the company and their teams for the, in the best interest of everybody. So I've had it where it's not. And so I've been through those, those sleepless nights to today where I'm at, where I have an amazing leadership team. I have an amazing, you know, middle management team. And so there's about 24 of our 105 people that make up that group. And I know if I keep them all aligned, if we stay healthy, I mean, they drive the company. I'm, you know, I'm not in the weeds of sales deals, customer situations or issues or, you know, I mean, go down the list. Like I work on the business every day. I don't work in the business. And so that, that shift started to happen probably about three years ago. And it's really accelerated over the last probably year and a half. So that's where, you know, you can really start caring for your people and, you know, trust them and they're, they're out leading, doing amazing things. And we celebrate that. And, you know, I'm not threatened by that because I'm, you know, the other piece of that is we're growing we want to keep growing. You need people, you know, our challenge has been, can we get, can we raise people up fast enough to keep up with the growth? Right. And so, um, yeah. And in the end, everybody wins. People grow as leaders, the company thrives, which means makes my life a lot easier as CEO uh, of the company. Um, but I think those are a couple of things that for me have played out and they're really, really critical for being able to empower. It isn't abdicating your authority or abdicating and just disappearing for days at a time. I mean, I'm in, I'm in meetings all day, but are we empowering people through that? Are you equipping them, right? Are you give them the tools and technology and decision-making authority to, to really just drive things forward and not just always go back to Daniel when a decision needs to be made. Yeah, that thing when all roads lead to the uh, owner, uh, you're digging your own grave, really. Actually, uh, Adam Boatsman said this recently to a, a friend of mine that runs a fire alarm company, and he said, um, 
one of the things that he was talking about this this owner was man i just feel like i'm putting out fires all the time and adam goes well sometimes if all you find yourself doing is putting out fires you might also be an arsonist and and that just like really like didn't hit him in a bad sort of way he he thought about that and goes you know what that just hit me between the eyes and i think i may actually be starting some of those fires and i think that's the issue so and i know that's a struggle for everybody that has competency in these areas what would you tell somebody a, a leader that is struggling with yeah but i just don't have anybody that you know they're they're all junior people or you know whatever and i just you know they aren't going to hit my standards what would you tell a leader that has that kind of belief that's rattling around in their cage yeah i mean i think i think i think having you know i would say do you have a clear vision so that the people around you know where you're going because if the answer is no then yeah nobody's ever going to probably be able to get you to where they don't know you want to go right. so that's probably the first thing is like do they, do they, do you have a clear vision? I think you also need a clear purpose with your business. And I, I mentioned Simon Sinek, but I'm a huge believer of that. Like, what are your purpose? What are your values? I feel like the purpose values, and then you have a clear direction of where you're going to go. That's why I would ask, start and ask the question. Right. And so most of the time, cause I've talked to enough business leaders, like most of the time answers, no, well, kind of, or, maybe not really clear vision, values, purpose, right? So I'm kind of like, well, how would you expect to align people to move towards something in the same way you want to move if none of that's clear? So I think you got to start with that, the core purpose, values, and vision. Then I think you might have people on your team that just aren't aligned to it. So that could be part of the problem, right? And so that that's kind of one thing that will become pretty clear if you solidify those other things. And then you might have leaders that, just don't have the experience and can't get you there to begin with. Right. And so, but I think until you know where you're going, then you're not going to know if your leader, if you're the leader's the problem or you're the problem or maybe other on vision or, or whatever. So I don't know. I think, I mean, there's all kinds of different variations of that. And I think, you know, I think um, it's hard to let go in general. I mean, I think entrepreneurs tend to be pretty controlling and like, I mean, you almost have to be to get something just brute force off the ground, right? And stick with something for years. And so I think to go from an entrepreneur to being a leader, one that shepherds a group of, you know, executives or managers or whatever it is, is, is a big shift. So I heard recently, I think it was the chairman of JetBlue. I heard him on a podcast and he was talking about the difference between an entrepreneur and an entre entrepreneurial leader. And I thought that was really fascinating and something resonated with me because I've always, I'm an entrepreneur, but I've moved to this entrepreneurial leader. So the, the entrepreneurial leader is really about building teams and culture, but still growing, still pressing out into new things, right? It's not this operator kind of bring the operator in just to run the business so you can grow at 3% for the next 30 years. You know, the entrepreneurial leader is still pushing the envelope, trying new things, wanting to grow probably. And that's a lot different than an entrepreneur who's typically not wanting to build teams and cultures for the long haul. So that was a little self-revelation I had a couple months ago about, you know, just 
that difference. So I think as an entrepreneurial leader, you have to get people around you that you trust and you have to delegate to them. You have to let go of control. If not, you're just probably an entrepreneur and you're going to hit a ceiling pretty fast. So I think it's usually about 30 to 40 employees. I mean, you hit a ceiling, you can't scale yourself beyond 30 or 40 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned knowing where you're going, right? And the vision, the purpose, things like that. What's that process look like inside of Torrent? How, how are you shaping the vision? How are you defining your purpose? Um, and then how, I guess the follow-up after that will be, how does that then spread to, the hundred plus employees to get all of them to buy into the same vision. Yeah. So I think the way I think of it is like, we have to define our identity. Like who are we as a company? So we, well, we realized we had this core belief, which I spoke to earlier, right. That any business could adopt really. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily just torrent. And then, then we went to like our why, how, what the sign and saying, well, what is our purpose? What is our why? Well, for us at torrent, we realized you know, and we, um, you know, we exist to raise up leaders, right? So we, you know, it's about raising up leaders so that lives are transformed, something really simple. So you'll hear us talk a ton about leaders. Well, in the consulting world, we're people heavy business. And so it kind of makes sense. It's actually a nice, nice marriage there. So that's our why. And then we moved to our, our how it's like, well, how are we going to operate? What are the, what are the, what are really like, what guides our decisioning? How, what are we pushing ourselves? You know, we came up with three things as a company that we kind of make up our how, and then our what is, you know, kind of our, you know, the, what we do, our Salesforce being you know, consultants, um, building solutions on the Salesforce platform, right? So, um, so I think that was a lot, that was an exercise last year that we did and put it on one page and we just reinforce our messaging reinforces that. I, we talk about it, you know, in our, we have a company stand up every morning for 15 minutes, Monday through Friday. So we're hitting on elements of it and it just becomes, it's just part of our culture and language. So that's identity. Once you kind of figure out who you are, the vision to me is like, well, where do we want to go? So I read a great book a few years ago, Vivid Vision by uh, Cameron Harold, um, who is, was the former COO of, I think, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. But he wrote a small little book called Vivid Vision and, um, I read it and it just jumped out to me. And so we wrote what he talks about in there. And what we did was wrote about, it's about seven or eight pages um, of a, you know, we had a graphic designer do a, you know, a nice design on it, but it's really describes what does your business look like in three years? And so for us, it's, Hey, it's December 31st, 2021. It's we're wrapping up the last day of the business year. And you kind of talk in like present tense in the future, but in present tense. And so we, sh- spent six months, you know, working through that and we rolled it out to our company last March. And so that's something that guides us that we reference. I mean, I'm constantly referencing that, um, you know, typically we'll sit down and reread as a leadership team, you know, every three to six months and, Hey, where are we at? What have we done? What, you know, we can't predict everything, but you know, what do we need to kind of mark out as doesn't make sense anymore, but it's really, it's really to describe the, the future feeling and um, vibe of what you want things to look like in three years. And so it's not a bunch of goals. It's not a bunch of metrics. It's the vision is like, what do things look like in three years here at Torrent? So that is like a really practical way. I mean, I'm a huge proponent of 
when I say vision, I don't mean like a two sentence statement. I don't mean a list of like one pages of like, here's all the goals. We'd want to be a hundred million dollars in three years. Like that's not vision. That's just the target. So the vision is like describing what the company looks and feels like in three years. And he recommends three years. You could do five. I mean, I think three is work seems to be working well for us. We're about a year and a half into it. And you go through it and you check things off the list. It feels really good, you know? And so I think when we're done in another year and a half, we'll probably have 80 to 90% of what we thought we would be accomplished and probably five to 10%. What we thought probably things have changed and, you know, pandemic hits and, you know, you you make some adjustments along the way, but I think by and large, we're going to accomplish what we sat down and wrote, um, you know, a year and a half ago and rolled out. So I think it gives somebody new hires come in, we mail it to them or when they walk in the office the first day, they get it. And I review it with them about three or four weeks after they've been at the company. And I walk through every section and explain and answer questions. And I mean, we really want people to understand like what they're here to build and where we're headed. I've got a couple questions that relate to um, the framework and you haven't used the words yet necessarily. And I've alluded to them, but you, if I remember right, maybe four or five years ago, you started using traction and the entrepreneurial operating system, and then you uh, quickly moved upstream to what I would call a graduate level uh, framework of Vern Harnish's uh, from scaling up. Uh, started with a book called uh, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, and then wrote another book called Scaling Up, and has his own um, coaching framework that you use those are both really hard, especially scaling up uh, to self-implement. You know, what I find is when you're trying to self-implement, um, it's just, you're, everybody's in the same jar. It's hard to read the label from the outside if you don't have somebody on the outside. Two questions on this. One is, what was it that took you down that path into exploring a more formalized framework of helping you drive alignment and um, you know, focus and execution, that would be one question. And two, you, you've brought people in from the outside like myself and other folks. And, uh, and I know that you're also part of a, a pretty uh, uh, distinct uh, round table of other entrepreneurs that are doing similar kind of things. Talk to me about what drove you into a framework. And then also, how do you as proficient as you guys are at self-implementing and and literally I would take anybody that wants to see how it's done well I would say go see Daniel and Torrent because literally I mean Daniel you moved to Guatemala you got four offices going on in the United States and then there was a pivot and you had to uh, really even hyper empower your people in the U.S. when you guys went through some tougher times uh, talk to me about those two things. What drove the the framework, and then what are you doing to keep fresh water flowing in from the outside for you? Yeah, so I think I think probably coming from consulting and being or being in consulting for the last fifteen years, I I always think I love a good framework. So I think when we ran across EOS, uh, you know, traction, the book traction, and then the uh, entrepreneurial operating system it just made sense. Like, well, here's a simple framework. And so we started using it for a year or two and it worked great. And then we ran across scaling up 
And I was like, oh man, this is what we really need. And so scaling up tends to be a little more strategic where I think EOS is it's a great starting point, but I think as your strategy evolves, EO, uh, uh, scaling up gives you some better tools for that. So, but I, I think, I think it's like having the tools right there in front of you, simple one or two pagers. I mean, that, as soon as we read it and saw it, I'm like, we need to implement this. Like we already kind of think in frameworks and methodologies and when we come in and do work with a customer, I mean, we have these pretty, you know, pretty extensive methodologies now that are, that are even beyond what I was doing, you know, when I was consulting here um, doing customer work. And so, um, but I think having those, those training wheels, the frameworks, the guide rails, I mean, that has been huge, you know, a huge help to us. And so, I mean, we joke every time I open up scaling up and read two pages, I learn something new and it's, it's literally a gold mine. Um, and so, you know, and I, I don't go to their events. I don't know Vern Harnish. I'm not pushing them at all, but that's probably been one of the biggest reasons why we've had so much success. And so, uh, from a business, you know, support perspective. So, I would say, you know, we're, we love frameworks and I think it's really helped, you know, in the book, it says, give yourself three years to implement. Of course, I read that and I'm like, six months, we'll have it all in place. And, you know, it really took about three years to get the pieces in place. And it was, sometimes it was hard to get things kind of adopted. But once we start going, people started to believe in it. And I think, you know, their goal in that whole framework is to free up, you know, entrepreneurs, free up business leaders to enjoy their business, to enjoy, you know, to do new things, to push the business forward. And so um, by giving structure and framework, it actually frees you to be more creative, to push things and to, to, to run the business more smoothly. It's kind of the opposite of what people think. Um, they think it's like structure process, you know, and it's going to, it's going to slow you down and actually speeds you up. So, um, but it did take three years. And when I met you, Gary, you walked in and we were probably in year two and a half of it. So we, you know, we obviously modified a few things. There's a few things that we've never implemented. Um, but I can tell you the cash section from that book. I mean, we read that a couple of years ago. He referenced another book, which I can't, can't bring it to mind, but I went and read that. Carrie and I did my VP of finance. And it said, you need to have three months cash in the bank. You need to you know, you need to overhaul your AR system. You have somebody focused on it 100% of their time. And we followed all that two years ago. It was the spring of 2018. And we rehauled our AR system. We automated some of it and kind of put somebody on it pretty much full time. Took our AR days from 54 down to 30, uh, 29. Um, so cut it almost in half. And when we hit COVID two years later, I mean, it's, we haven't even seen a slip of our AR. So, uh, and we had cash and we had no debt. And so we had done all these things and that was just straight from probably two pages out of scaling up that we dug into. And, you know, I think a lot of these books like that, most people read them and don't do anything with it. I'm more of like, take something you find it's really good and simple, focus a couple of years and implement it. You're probably going to be successful, whether that's a marketing framework or business framework or a cash strategy. Like, you know, I think, I think ex the execution is where, where all the value comes out of. So anyway, so how do we keep it fresh? That's a good question. I mean, I think we are, we are evolving and growing as a company. And so we continue to go back to some of those tools. I had my leadership meeting here in a couple of weeks, our quarterly meeting for a couple of days. And so we'll pull out 
the vivid vision. We're going to pull that out and do an exercise, spacey, pacey, uh, the functional accountability chart and the, the process accountability chart. We'll probably pull those out. I literally just wrote a note when you brought those up. So that'll be part of the agenda. And we just, let's run through and refresh it. Where do we have some gaps? What do, what do we need to address? Um, you know, those are the big things. I mean, the meeting execution rhythms are just a huge part of our business now. And there's a whole section on execution. And so I don't know, we continue to find new things that work and change and we drop some things that maybe don't work, but I think, um, you know, I think it's for us, it's working now because we spent those three or four years implementing it. So it's more of tweaks along the way at this point. And, um, are you still part of an outside forum? I know that you've brought me in at times for an outside perspective. Talk to me a little bit more about how you stay fresh and listening to people outside of the echo chamber inside your own company or within your own family. Yeah, probably two groups right now. So a couple of years ago, I realized I needed kind of an advisory group of advisory you know, the team. So I don't have a formal advisory team, but I really went through and spent some time figuring out like, who are my four or five go-to people that I pick up the phone and call that I try to meet with every couple months. And so we don't have a board. We're not, you know, we're privately held. And so we don't have a board of directors. And um, so I really, I mean, it literally became one of my quarterly priorities just to figure out who, who is my, who's my advisory team? Who do I call right for certain things? So I spent a lot of time on that and have a pretty solid group now of four or five. So that some of the people I called, you know, back on March 14th, when every, the world was falling apart, right. Those were some of the first people I called and got some amazing advice and was able to help, you know, really kind of feed some of my strategy on how to navigate all of this. So I think that's like, it's having the solid people um, around me. And then the other, which kind of spun up, in the midst of the crisis is uh, a CEO roundtable that I have every week. We were meeting twice a week. Now it's once a week with fellow, it's four other CEOs that run gold or platinum consulting partners at Salesforce. And so the five of us meet every week and really kind of right now we're trying to help each other navigate. Hey, what have you heard? What are you seeing in the market? Uh, and we're just sharing ideas. And so, you know, a couple of them are, one of them is a, is definitely a competitor of ours. The other one we've run into a few times, but um, yeah, even, even in that, there's this camaraderie that like, we want to all get through this together, right? There's definitely this, this idea that we want to help each other. And so we meet once a week and been able, we've been able to, I've been able to share ideas and they share ideas. So I think that that's helped a lot too, I think, and been, been a big part of helping each other navigate the last three or four months. Um. I know we're getting to a time where we got to wrap up. I know you have something right after this. So, so I want to finish with, um, we're talking about vision. We're talking about purpose as you get halfway into this three year process of the vision and, and you say you're getting towards where most of the stuff you think you'll be able to hit. Um, when do you and your team start thinking of the next three years? What does that process look like? And, how much forward thinking are you doing versus trying to be in the moment and make sure you're executing on the current three-year process? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So my, what, one of my top five Gallup or strengths by the Gallup uh, strength finders is futuristic. So I can live in the future constantly. It's probably, it's probably one of the things I have to be careful not to just constantly live in the future. 
Uh, and I think I've learned a lot about myself to be able to, to kind of navigate that. But, um, you know, I think I've started thinking about the next three years already, which is 18 months out. So probably I would imagine this time next year, I'll probably be putting stuff on paper. So I would say it's give myself six months before I roll it out to start putting on paper, live with it, let our leadership team kind of sift through it too. And, you know, let them weigh into it and then we would roll it out. So, you know, I think I'll do another three year vision. Um, you know, the beginning will roll out at some point it'll be the beginning of 2022, 2023, 2024 that will roll out. So, um, I'm kind of, so the short answer is I'm kind of constantly thinking about it, but I do think it's probably a six month process for me to put that together and roll it out. And then do you do that on an individual basis as well? Do you do that for yourself or is it, uh, for the company? This is all for the company. Right. So uh, I don't do it for myself. I probably should. I do more of it. I sit down and really kind of plan my annual priorities. And that's something I've gotten into the last couple of years. As I saw it working in the business, I found a simple system um, called the full focus planner by Michael Hyatt that really works for me. And so it's, you know, it's, it's really setting seven to 10 personal uh, and or work goals for the year. Uh, and doing a couple of those a quarter. And uh, that's been super helpful for me. So I sit, I typically sit down in December and kind of really reflect about where I want to be, my family, personally, uh, my the business, and what, what are the big things that I feel like I want to work on in these different parts of, of my life. So, um, yeah, so that's what I do personally, but that's really a year-to-year, quarter-to-quarter thing, not a you know, three- or five- or ten-year life plan. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I knew you did it for the business based on how you were talking. So I was curious if you tried to implement it on an individual basis also. So, um, all right. So we'll wrap up here. Uh, because like I said, I don't want you to rush into your next thing. Um, especially having to come back on and do this a second time with us. Um, so before we sign off, where, where can people go to follow you to find more up about torrent, things like that. And we'll, we'll put links in the show notes for you. Yeah, so torrentconsulting.com, that's, that's where they can find us on the web. Um, my uh, uh, Twitter is Daniel McCollum. You can find me on LinkedIn. I think it's DJ McCollum, if I'm not mistaken. But Daniel, McC- you can search me on LinkedIn. So those oh, are some of the main places. Yeah, we're on Instagram. Uh, the, the company's on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all over the place. So um, should be pretty easy to find me in the company. Daniel, it's always a pleasure to see you, to hear you, to hear your heartbeat. Uh, Thank you for being extremely gracious to me in particular, because I'm the guy that screwed up the first time. (laughs) So I really appreciate you. Ben, thanks for doing what you do. You're an awesome partner in this whole thing. And uh, anybody that's listening, you also are anything but typical. And if you don't believe that, look at your fingerprint and tell me who else has one just like yours. So thank you for your time. And I can't wait to get this thing up and on the air. Daniel, thanks and have a wonderful rest of the day. Yeah, thanks. Thanks guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye.